You're listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? Welcome to another episode of the Last Word Soccer Club Radio Podcast. We are coming at you, time of recording, on Friday night, some Friday night podcast lights, but um, tonight on the Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Um, we are brought to you by lastwordonsports.com, Icarus FC, Roughneck Scars, Athletic Greens. Um, I'm your host, Rachel Krieger. Tonight, I am joined by two wonderful, my right-hand men tonight. Um, also enduring the cold temperatures of the eastern side of the state harvey cruz how are you i'm doing good yeah i am enduring it's it's pretty weird these days um especially since tomorrow um this weekend is april uh, i woke up to 30 degrees and some strong winds so um the weather in the east as i always say is bipolar and that'll never change as long as I'm alive. So, um, look, I read my, I looked at my phone and I saw that it's going to be as high as 70 next week. So I don't, I don't know, man. I just go with the flow and hopefully I don't get sick. I said in the messages before we jumped on that tonight before recording, I helped out at the school that I'm working at, Fish Fry tonight. And it has rained literally every single Friday that we've had fish fry. So this was like my fifth week in a row standing in the rain for like three hours and taking people's orders. So the weather has not been kind um, in in the, the eastern side of the state. That is for sure. Um, Felipe, how is Canada? How is life? And uh, yeah, we're super happy to to have you back for another episode. Thank you so much. Yeah, Canada's good. I mean, um, out here on the West Coast in Vancouver, it's uh, a little rainy as it usually is in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, but it looks like we're going to have some warmer times in April. And uh, I'm just excited for a proper spring weather. Boys, before we start, I have to brag for a minute. I have to share some good news. We we don't do video like feeds and stuff, but I am wearing my my St. Joseph's College of Maine shirt because I finally am done with school for the rest of my life. I have graduated with my second master's degree, um, this time in pastoral theology. So I'm very hyped to be done with school for the rest of my life. Um, I bought the cap and gown literally just because I wanted the tassel. Um, and I'm going to do my own backyard graduation when I get my diploma um, with my family and everything. But guys, the freedom of not having to write any more papers, because this this last degree, I've been doing it for the last like two, like almost like two and a half years. And it was it's like year round schooling. I the longest break that I had was like a week. So to not have papers. Um, and to be able to read books again that I want to read and play video games when I want to play has been a joy. So hopefully with that free time, I will be able to watch more soccer. But I had to share the news. Um, very, very, very excited about it. But um, we're going to talk we're going to talk soccer here, gentlemen. We just had 
Um, we just had Nations League wrap up, which was very exciting. The I think I think it was like the group the group stage. I don't know if the group stage had an official name because it was just like a very 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 large group stage. Excuse me, and then it just got whittled down to to two semi um to two semifinals um in a, in a four team bracket. So um, we're gonna talk about that bracket after we're done talking about um the the four teams uh that are in that bracket we're going to talk about mexico just a little bit um not not too much but we're going to focus first and foremost on the u.s men's national team that is still being led by mr sir anthony hudson um the united states beat granada seven to one down in granada and then i am very sorry to say this harvey cruz but thank you to a uh ricardo pepe goal um, the U.S. beat El Salvador La Selecta um, in in the second of the two the two group stage matches in this window um, to to qualify for that semifinal. Um, gentlemen, just uh, we'll start with you, Felipe. Just want to get your your overall thoughts on the game um, and and you know maybe some thoughts on on some of the newest cap tied players for the United States. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I was looking at uh, some of the highlights and uh, watched a little bit of the two games. Um, the game against El Salvador, I actually think El Salvador played quite well, defended really well, played with their hearts. And uh, yeah, I just took a, a, a really well taken Ricardo Pepe goal, who I think had a very good Nations League in general uh, across both games. And uh, yeah, I think Zendejas impressed uh, in this short stint that he had in the uh, match against Granada. And um, I think that uh, the U.S. have some pretty good young players coming up. And, um, you know, I think Pepe is definitely at the forefront of that. I think he's a really good striker. He's been doing quite well uh, in the Netherlands. And uh, I think that um, with a bit more experience and a bit more time, he'll grow into a proper U.S. number nine. Good thoughts. Um, Harvey Cruz, I know it wasn't really the game that you wanted, and, and I'm going to get your thoughts on the uh, Nations League performance as a whole from El Salvador, but just any thoughts on the game um, and, and and you know, your your thoughts on the fight from La Selecta? Felipe said it nicely where he liked Zendaya's game. I actually like Taylor Booth's game a lot. I think he is up, he can slot into that midfield um, pretty quickly. Um given how his passing is, now he can progress the ball past midfield. Look, I expected that game exactly as it went down because I know that Miles Salvador is not on the level of the U.S. They are an average team. You can essentially predict their lineup because they don't really have many, if any, new players coming in. They don't have the depth of the U.S. Um, Hugo Press mentioned of the depth that the U.S. has from their senior groups all the way down to like their U23s. And um, hopefully they can, uh, or the U.S. can participate in the U the U20 World Cup uh, soon enough and um, we'll be able to see more more ballers in that case. But you don't have to worry anymore about the striker position. For me, Ricardo is your number nine going forward until the end of time, until someone else gets here, until whether that Florin Balogun rumors come true or whether... Someone um just hits a nice hit run of form and exceeds Pepe. The one surprise of that game is was the goal. 
because the Salvador for my money was the better team in the first half. They just couldn't um convert and many chances and he didn't really create many chances. Jairo Henriquez created the only real chance of the first half in like the opening two minutes. Um, but Ricardo Pepe's goal was so nice in the fact that he essentially runs past his marker into like empty space. McKenny finds him out, and the chip was lovely. That's that's a, a sweet finish. Dinks it over, and that's the difference of the game. And he is like a difference maker in that team. You don't have to worry about Jesus Ferreira or a Josh Sargent. Those guys, to me, they're below Pepe in the pecking order. Pepe's number one for me. He settled the debate, and that's really all there is to it. Going forward, Pepe is the number nine. Um, I like the fact that Gio Reyna played as a 10 under him. That, to me, I didn't really see much of that from him. Um, not the World Cup, because that's a different thing. But I, at Dortmund, he was more of a wide player. He was more of a winger. But seeing him as a 10, where you have Pulisic on one side, you could have Aronson on the other, you could have them switch positions more fluidly. That's like a really nice wrinkle that we like. Um, and then the fact that um, Jedi Robinson is back as well. Thank God that he's back for the U.S. because I love his game a lot. Um, hopefully there's a new center back in waiting because um, I don't know how much longer we're going to go with a Walker Zimmerman at the back or a Tim Ream at the back. Um, so maybe there'll be new fresh blood there. there but um, I like the U.S.'s uh, performances. Um, teams are going to cap and force them to play through them, which is kind of what El Salvador did. They succeeded. So that's how it goes. For my El Salvador, I'm not uh, worried or disappointed. I kind of expected it the way it was. They have a ceiling. They can't really break through right now. They don't have any like crazy big talents there. Um, so hopefully, uh, they'll perform better at the at the Gold Cup. So that's my thing for now. But Hugo Perez will stay in El Salvador. I don't want to hear this stuff about oh, he's talking about this. He might go here. Stop it. You have Anthony Hudson. Give him a chance before you start uh, drooling over Hugo Perez. That's my guy. Leave him alone. You heard the man, um, Harvey Cruz. By the way. Watch your tone when it comes to Tim Ream. He can play however, however long he wants. Um, you know, me and Matt Matt Pollard are the, the president and the vice president of the Tim Ream fan club. So we have to go to bat for our boy. Um, but yes, Hugo Perez was asked during the postgame pressers if he had any interest or, you know, he had been contacted for the U.S. job. Harvey, I agree with you. I mean, Anthony Hudson has, has been given the tools and he's been working with them very well. Um, I, I like what he's doing so far with this team. And of course, you know, you still have some players, you know, Christian Pulisic did um, an interview beforehand saying he supports Greg Berhalter and the whole situation was a was was childish with the Reinas and, and with Berhalter. Um, so, you know, we're, there's still a still a question mark on the U.S. manager position. Um, guys, I think I, I think that the obvious answer here um, is Ricardo Pepe. Um, and Harvey, I think you summed up his play very nicely. But anybody else, Felipe, that may have impressed you during this window for the U.S.? I mean, it's it's. I know it's, it's saying that uh, Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic, when they perform well, it should be expected. But especially Reyna, after all the drama that went on beforehand between the World Cup and these matches... For him to put his head down and put a performance like he did 
um, it shows that, you know, you can move past these things. You don't need to have these things hamper your game and hamper the play. Once you're on the pitch, you're on the pitch and everything else kind of fades into the background. And I think he did really well. And Christian Pulisic, you know, in, in his form at the club level isn't as fantastic because, I mean, the club he's at right now, uh, Chelsea, are just in disarray in general. But uh, I think both of them have proved that they're still at a high level. They're still, uh, you know, playing at a European competitive level. And I think that uh, I was quite impressed with both of their play across both games. And it's, you know, I guess from a neutral point of view or if an American point of view, it's good to see those players still playing to the caliber that you expect of them. Yeah, I would agree with that statement there. I think for me, I wanted to see Weston McKenney have a couple good games, and I think he did have, uh, especially Granada, a, a really good game. I thought he was decent um, against El Salvador as well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, with all the the injury bugs and whatnot and, you know, what's what's the midfield going to look like for the first time without Tyler Adams in the last few months? I, I think McKenney had to step up and I, and I think he did. Um, I thought he did a nice job. And, and obviously his situation with his clubs, um, you know, obviously with Leeds United right now. Um, but he, he's kind of up in the air, too. You know, he's will will he stay, you know, Juventus? Will he stay at Leeds? Will he go somewhere else? Um, so I think he needed to have a good performance going back to England. Um, Harvey, anybody impress you in particular? I like I mentioned before, I like Taylor Booth's game a lot. I like that he can <clears throat> when he came out from McKinney that he can uh I'm sorry, Musa, he can come in and just spray the ball around, move things, keep things in tidy. Um, so he's a guy that I would I would look out for moving forward because I think his game could um help keep the machine flowing into the into maybe the gold cup if he gets called up or the nation's league um semifinals in the summer i do have one complaint though and it's like i'm just being like a bit picky of course you're telling me that i couldn't get, i i couldn't see georgia mihailovic in any of these games why not you're telling me i couldn't see austin trusty against El Salvador? why not a joe scally um i get that we're, we're going for wins here and the name of the game is to win but I believe that you can still do that and bring in a Mihailovic that um, fans um, and you are sending to your Twitter are looking for. Um, and um, and the guy like Austin Trusty has been smashing in a championship uh, over there in England. You're telling me I can't see those guys? Why? Why not? I want to see those guys because... You know, you're going to bring in, like, two squads, essentially. You're going to bring in, like, your A team for one competition and your B team for another. And I, I want to see how these guys are before I just see them against teams in the Gold Cup and Nations League that will put up the fight against you. So I want to see that thing. Also, I don't want to see Daryl DK really that much longer in the USMNT. Um, I liked his, uh, his story, and I like that he came from Orlando City to West Brom to here. Um, but he didn't impress me or do much at all in these past two games. Um, I was wondering why he didn't get pulled off at halftime. And I know it sounds harsh for me, but it's it's only because I'm I'm bullish now on Ricardo Pepe because of how he took his chance. And it was only the, like the one clear chance in that game in the second half of the U.S. So um, if they're going to be stuck doing this 4-2-3-1 or this 4-3-3, however it goes, but for me, more Pepe, less DK, 
And I want to see some new blood in these types of games. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those fronts there, Harvey. Um, and, and, you know, I, jo- I joke about Tim Ream and everything, but it, it is fair to say he is on fire with Fulham and, and, his, and that has translated in his club play. I mean, he was one of the most consistent players in Cutter for us. But, I mean, against Granada, you can't start Joe Scally. I think the, the underuse of Joe Scally has been pretty criminal. And I don't understand why he plays in the Bundesliga. It's not like he's playing in some, like, washed off, you know, whatever league. Like, he is playing in a high-profile league. Um, and, and he's playing well for, for Mönchengladbach. Um, I don't really know what the issue is there. Austin trusty too. I think, you know, I completely echo your statements there. Um, and then Daryl DK. Yeah. His stock definitely went down um, on the USMNT charts. Uh, I watched uh, football Americas with uh, Sebastian Salazar and um, Hercules. Uh, what was it? Herc Her- Gomez. Is that his last yeah, name? Her- Hercules yeah. Gomez, yep. Her- Gomez, um, and they, they both just were like, I-, I could tell that they were trying to be nice about it, but like it took them everything for them to just be like, this dude shouldn't get called up in the US again. He's one of those players that yes, he plays very well for club, but it just has not translated to the national team for whatever reason that that may be. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, everybody's all aboard the peppy hype train right now. And, you know, it's, I, I talked before, I think, you know, Felipe, you were on this podcast of, of me saying the Seattle Sounders revenge tour. Well, it, on the national stage, it's the Ricardo Pepe revenge tour. I mean, this guy is on fire and he's proving that, you know, the, the U.S. should have taken him to Qatar. Um, and he's basically showing off that, that like the flair and the skill um, and yeah, I mean he's he's getting his looks and he deserves his looks. So um definitely a player to to keep your eye on both for club and country because his name is being tossed around a lot in Europe right now. Um but Harvey, you talked a little bit about this uh ceiling for La Selecta. Um why don't you tell us about you know just your thoughts on on maybe how they're feeling about Nations League and and you know where they go from here. Well, where they go from here is is where they were at the start of the World Cup qualifying. They've been in the same place for essentially a year and a half, two years, which is where they can beat the likes of Honduras on occasion, maybe Jamaica on occasion. Um, but they're not going to beat the elite. Where they are, they are second tier at best, third tier most likely and when it comes to CONCACAF because they can't beat the likes of Mexico, Canada, or USA, which is why I wasn't that surprised that um, the U.S. Uh, beat them. I mean, El Salvador has never beaten the U.S. I think El Salvador has beaten Mexico, I want to say once, maybe. Um, I'm trying to remember. I believe they did like a while ago, like a long time ago, but still. There's just no new players coming in. There's no, like, dual national players coming in. You know, you're Enrico Duenas. They brought in these, these Hill brothers who are going to be new fixtures on this uh, on the Osaga team. Um, so, look, Hugo Perez is, is being lauded, and rightfully so, for getting the absolute most out of this team. 
But even he has to like kick his his game up a notch and see how he can uh, pull off these tactical masterclasses against like against Concacaf Nation teams and then the Gold Cup because. I remember it wasn't that long ago when El Salvador was playing um, Qatar in the Gold Cup and they lost 3-2 and they were down 3-1 in the game. And, we, and I was like, wow, that's something to be proud of. And then World Cup qualifying happened. They beat Honduras for the first time ever. And then, you know, you lose to the USA 1-0. You lose to Canada 3-0. You lose to Mexico 2-0-2-1. And you just see that there's a ceiling. And... I'm normally against a 48-team World Cup, but the fact that there is 48 teams in this upcoming World Cup gives me as much hope as possible that El Salvador can make it. I don't care how they do it. I don't care how it happens. If they if they are one of the 48, I'll celebrate like forever and ever. Because for a country and a nation that's as poor and... um. And as a, uh, you know, a small economically and stuff like that, and it's trying to rebuild his reputation as a solder who hasn't made it since 82, fam. That, to me, is the most, uh, was it 82? I can't remember. Yes, it was 82. Sorry. It was 82. Um, yeah, it was just, uh, it's just like, for the now, they just have to see how they can level up. They don't create many chances. They're gonna. They press you. They defend really well. They are like, I can't think of an MLS equivalent right now. Maybe like a Minnesota United, I guess. But they are like the classic, like, hardcore defending team where def- their defense is what's gonna carry them through because their offense is so limited. So, um, don't expect much change. But don't expect it to this team to like kick up a higher gear in the summer and and forward. Um. For you have to like literally see it to believe it. So, um, also one other thing on the U.S. note that that um we never really mentioned. Uh, watch this space. It wasn't until I believe the day after the game or a few days after the game that Tyler Adams is out for months, I believe, because he's having surgery on for his hamstring, and that is huge. Because I was wondering why they were playing four two three one, and it's really because they don't they only play four three three when they have the MMA midfield. Of Musa McKinney Adams. Now Adams is done for a while. You don't know how fit he's gonna be for the summer, so you gotta watch out for that. So I just wanted to bring that up. But for El Salvador, um they're they're limited. So um you're just hoping and praying that they can uh you know survive by the skin of the teeth. Good stuff, Harvey, on La Selecta. Um boys, how do you say frustrated in Spanish, because I might need to know to talk about the Costa Rican men's national team. I am, I'm frustrated with them. They, uh, they, they won against Martinique, but they did not look good doing it. Um, Martinique got on the board in the 18th minute and the whole time Costa Rica was playing catch up. Um, and it was very unpretty. It was, uh, no bonito. That's for sure. Um, Aaron, Zuniga Suarez, I think is his name. He got on the board in the 88th minute. And then um, Anthony Contreras got on the board in uh, second half stoppage time. They basically squeaked out a win by the skin of their teeth over Martinique, which should never happen for the Costa Rican men's national team. Um, 
it, it, I feel like it's it's such a um what's the word I'm looking for it's it, it feels like I'm a, I'm a replaying record you know the every time I talk about them saying well you know Kaylor Navas basically keeps them in the game. Well, Kaylor Navas is not enough. They need to find a legitimate scoring option um, and, and their midfield needs to get better because it was just very, very sloppy against Martinique. Now Costa Rica did play a little bit better against Panama, but they did not get the win, which means Panama gets to move forward into the Nations League, into the semifinals, um, while Costa Rica has to sit at home. Um Fajardo scored for um, Panama in the 77th minute and boom, out goes Costa Rica. Um, Yeah, they they didn't have, they didn't have a great World Cup. They, they obviously that, that thrashing by Spain to open it up, they stunned Japan. At, At one point they were, they were winning against Germany and then they were tied against Germany and then all of this chaos. And at one point, Costa Rica was even leading the group. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, they I think they sat in, I don't think they were in last place in that group, but I, either way, they were knocked out. Um, and this was their first competition um, since the World Cup. They did not have like a January camp or anything like that, like the U.S. men's national team did. Um, so this was their first competition and boy, did it show. They were rusty. They were just rough around all the edges. And to be honest with you, I think I think Costa Rica needs to get some of their players. And again, it's very much easier said than done. But I think they need to get some players in, in you know, MLS or Liga Emekis, just a little bit better quality of a league than um, Costa Rica's Primera División. Um, th- th- there's ha- like more than half of the team is players from Alajuense, um, who recently just lost in the CONCACAF Champions League round of 16 to LAFC. Um, and, and something needs to change for Costa Rica because clearly right now, whatever is happening is not working for the Ticos. That's my rant about the Ticos. Um, Felipe, Canada men's national team. I, I saw, I think it was Kyle Laren said that they are the best uh, in CONCACAF. Um, World Cup records maybe would have to would have to challenge that but i'm not here to throw um rocks and glass houses or anything like that tell us how canada beat curacao and then how they thrashed against honduras uh yeah i mean uh canada they performed uh really well this nations league um I think uh, both matches showed the quality that we have. Uh, I think against Curacao, we probably should have done a bit more. I mean, obviously it was in Curacao, but they were playing with 10 men for uh, two-thirds of the match, and we only managed to score two goals, uh, both in the first half. It was kind of a snooze fest in the second half. But then we went back home to Toronto and faced Honduras, and yeah. Kyle Laren, he's on red hot form right now ever since his move to Real Valladolid in Spain. He has eight goals in his last 10 matches in 2023, which is an incredible record. And with him and David probably being the two most informed strikers in CONCACAF, uh, is uh, it's no surprise really the kind of bullish nature that they have. To say, you know, we are the big boys now, CONCACAF. I think, you know, I don't know if I would be so bold as to put us 
first, uh, maybe on form, but first in general. But I do think that now Canada has firmly put themselves in the picture alongside the U.S. Uh, and Mexico. Um, and I think that the semifinal against Panama is going to provide another good test um, before hopefully facing either the U.S. or Mexico in the final. But I think uh, this specific window, Herdman did something that we were all crying out, uh, especially during the World Cup, which is uh, he played a midfield three, a central midfield three of Osorio, Eustachio, and Ismail Kone. And it worked beautifully. Oh, it was so lovely to watch that midfield three. Eustachio was solid as that proper number six sitting deep, even sometimes sitting between the two center backs um, and distributing play, just spraying balls left and right, switching the play. Um, Osorio is so, so good in the half spaces at creating chances. He even got a goal. Uh, the fourth goal uh, against El Salvador, and I thought he was superb. And a lot of people forget that he sort of was the star that started it all, this whole golden generation. He was really the first one um, to break out, I guess, as well as Atiba Hutchinson, who uh, was celebrated before the El Salvador game for his 100th cap. And then um, I, I thought the, my most, the most impressive player was Ismail Kone. I mean, He's 20 years old. Uh, he's only really been a proper professional for two years. And he's already balling out in Watford in the second tier of the English football pyramid. And it seems like he is part of the future of Canada alongside uh, Davies and uh, Jonathan David and even Alistair Johnson. And yeah, I think I was very impressed with the way that we played, the way that we were structured. Um, a lot of good passing play, especially with the wings. Uh, Tejan Buchanan had a bit of a quiet window, but that can be expected since he had, he's had a quiet season because of how poor Club Bruges have been, especially with Scott Parker Ball, which was horrific to watch. Um but, I mean, Richie Larea played really well. Um, he's been one of TFC's best performers this season so far. And good to see players like Scott Kennedy uh, get a run in, though he got injured. But I thought he was a really good defender for us. Um, and even Kyle Habert made his debut for the men's national team after uh, some good performances for St. Louis. So, overall, yeah, it was a good window. I think everyone came away were very happy, very positive. Uh, about the play that uh, we demonstrated uh, in the two matches. And yeah, well, I'm super excited for the summer when we get to see how they play in Las Vegas against Panama and uh, hopefully, my personal choice, hopefully the United States in the final. Uh, but yeah, happy, happy days. All right, gentlemen, let's look at this bracket. Um... Correct me if I'm wrong, but both games are in Las Vegas. Is that is that correct? Okay, one. Uh, we we start off at 7 p.m. on June 15th. This is a ways away um, between Canada and Panama. So um, I'm gonna throw it right back to you, Felipe, because you're our resident Canadian. Like, how do you feel about Canada um, in this game? And and you know, have you like, what do you think could could potentially be uh, a wrench in their in their route to the final from Panama. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is complacency, you know, 
uh, that's something that Canada has to watch out for. Obviously, between the four participants, the the opposite the opposition you would want to choose would be Panama <clears throat> between you know uh, Mexico, United States. But that doesn't mean they're not good, right? That it doesn't mean that they're uh, an important part of CONCACAF. They are a good opposition. They, they did, did beat Costa Rica. They um, have the ability to to attack and to do damage in behind. And I think that that's something Canada has to be mindful of, uh, especially since, you know, Hardman and Atiba Hutchinson were all talking about it's great that we're playing well and all, but we want silverware. That's something that we want as, you know, as a nation. We haven't won anything since the 2000 Gold Cup. And so I think that if we can um, have the right mentality off the bat and not think about the final before we get there, I think we have a good shot of making it there. But yeah, it's respecting the opponents, it's respecting and, and playing the opposition in front of you and knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing when it's when it's time to think about the next match and when it's time to think about the match in front of you. And I think that's something that kind of have to be mindful of moving forward uh, and uh, making sure that they bring that kind of style of football that they showed in the last two games, especially since it's the first time we see them post the uh, sort of disappointed World Cup and uh, show the show CONCACAF and show the world why we are still a force to be reckoned with. Good stuff. Uh, Harvey, your, your scouting report. It's, <laughs> it's one of the very few times that we are seeing a USA Mexico semifinal Mexico. Um, I, I know I'm pulling, I'm pulling them up right now, but I know they tied with Jamaica 2-2 because have to bring in the local connection here. Um, Jamaica starting goalkeeper in that game, Jamali uh, White, uh, wait, uh, is a, you guessed it, a Pittsburgh Riverhound. Let's go. Um, so they got the 2-2 draw against Jamaica, which was kind of a stunner there. Um, and then they got a 2-0 win over Suriname. Um, Harvey, just your scouting report on, on a very shocking USA versus Mexico. Oh, my gosh. It's not a final. It's a semifinal. Yeah, I don't see how the USA uh, don't win this. Um they should wipe the floor with Mexico in the summer. Mexico have been awful, awful since the World Cup. Even though in the World Cup, they weren't that good at all. Tata Martino's gone, Diego Coco's their manager, and nothing's changed. And look, it's not, change is not going to be like uh, apparent from the off. They're still playing players that have played in the World Cup when they should really start transitioning to new players. Um, so for me, I just think the U.S. has better depth at all levels. I think they have the better starting 11. They have a better synergy instead in this side, they're starting 11. And whether it's Greg Berhalter or Anthony Hudson, I think Anthony Hudson should be the manager for this match, honestly. I think he should carry on with his job throughout the summer. Um, but that's just me. But for me, I think uh, USA, I'll give you a score. Why not? A USA 3 Mexico won in the summer. USA should easily handle Mexico in the summer. Easily. 
I mean, you know, I got to be on the Dos Acero hype train. Um, so give me a Dos Acero in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, I agree with everything that you say, Harvey. I'm going to put a retweet on that. I think it's interesting that, you know, Mexico has a new manager. We have a new manager. Um, and, and I just think that, you know, the guys for the U.S. have acclimated a little bit better. Um, and it's it's showing on the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I think even, even you know, playing against Suriname, like, I would have expected a Mexico Suriname game to have a much bigger scoreline for Mexico. No disrespect to Suriname at all. Um, but yeah, I think that the United States just right now, they're the better team than Mexico. And I think Mexico is, they're getting used to their new manager. They need to call in new players. Um, and, and it's just, it's just not their time right now. Um, but that's going to do it for our Nations League chatter. We are going to talk um, in just a moment about some things that we want to see um, in MLS Week 6, if you are listening before the Saturday games. Um, but before we do that, I want to tell you guys about our 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 new sponsor, Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 is perfect for daily nutrients and gut health support. AG1 solves two of the most important health needs, the nutrients your body needs each day and the foundation of long-term gut health. Together, they fuel whole body health, impacting everything from sleep, digestion, energy, mood, immunity, to the health of your hair, skin, and your nails. Simply follow the link in our show description to get started today. Thank you to Athletic Greens for being a sponsor for Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Um, okay, gentlemen, so um, some things that we wanna see in MLS week six. Um, Felipe, you were the one who picked them. You were the one who picked St. Louis and, um, everybody has to bow at your feet because we were all wrong about St. Louis, um, and Bradley Carnell ball. So, um, what do you want to see from St. Louis in week six? And then also, what do you want to see from your Whitecaps? Yes. I mean, call me an Oracle because I don't think many people would have backed uh st louis to have the start that they did and i'll be honest even i didn't expect them to have the start that they have been i mean the first expansion team to win five of five is incredible and it's it's not even the fact that they're winning it's the way that they're winning i mean they're they're playing proper energy drink soccer um the way that they press is very much red bull style i think it's very modernized to the modern red bull style without it being i guess too gimmicky which is one of the things that i was worried about of like trying to play like liverpool with mls players is not going to go well but to be fair to bradley carnell he has managed to uh find a way of playing that suits the mls that shocks the mls but still is is respectable to its level and uh yeah, I don't know what hoodoo voodoo he does before every game to have basically every team just give the red carpet for a goal. It's happened three times now where teams just love, defenders love to pass it to, to Zhao Klaus. It's just their favorite pastime apparently is to pass it to him so he can go up and score. But uh, yeah, sometimes that's what you need. You need some luck. You need some good football and you know, I was talking to um, uh, the Whitecaps coach, uh, Vanny Sartini, and we were there, he was talking about St. Louis, and he was saying that's uh, one of the things that you see in St. Louis they don't always see at most MLS clubs, and it's super important, is a clear philosophy, is a clear identity. And that's something that you see in St. Louis right off the bat, um, the way that they are building the club 
through this soccer it's it's more than just playing great it's 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 that philosophy that uh, they're bringing to the league and, and to their play. Uh, just being incredible to watch. Honestly, they're my second team right now. And as long as they're not playing at the, at the same time as the Whitecaps, their game is probably the game I put on the most. So I've just been enjoying it. And this weekend, I just want to see more of the same. I just want to see more of the same. I want them to go out and uh, play the game they've been playing and, and try to see how long they can go uh undefeated because in the mls it's it's very rare that you go on to um like insane uh consecutive win runs but uh you never know especially since every team has to face them still at least once and every team has to learn how to play against them i think that's something that uh st louis can take advantage of and try to record as many wins in the first half as they're able to and then moving on to the white caps i mean uh, for them, it's a very different season. I would love for them to uh, get a win, <laughs> just in general, just full stop, get their first win of the season because uh, they have been playing really, really good football. Like taking the scores away, which I know is a very easy scapegoat to do, but taking the scores away, you look at the way that they've been playing and 85% of the time, it's been spectacular. It's been good fluid football it's been um revolutionary to the way that we're used to playing white caps play it's attacking with a lot of intent they're creating so many chances the thing that's been harming them the most is that they can't put it away they signed Sergio Cordova from Augsburg he had a really good end to the season at RSL last season and then he had a kind of a rough start this season he wasn't at peak fitness, he was slowly growing into the game. And just when we thought we might see the real Cordova, he goes and gets a hamstring injury and is out for six to eight weeks. And now we're back to square one. And now we're back to Brian White, who I love the guy. And his hold-up play and his passing play this season has been sublime. But he just can't put the ball into the back of the net. Last week, inside the opening three minutes against Minnesota, he did like an acrobatic on near bicycle kick, and it went off the bar. And that just sums up his luck right now. He keeps going into the right positions. He keeps making the right movements. But when it comes to just putting the ball into the back of the net, that's where he falters. And that's where a lot of our attack is faltering, where, you know, so far, uh, out of all of the goals we scored this season, only one has come from the attack, and that was the goal that Simon Betcher scored last week against Minnesota in the 98th minute. And that's our youth striker. That's a striker we just signed from the second team. And so to see him, I mean, it's incredible to see him step up. And I think he is probably maybe the best proper just striker of the ball at the club. Um, and uh, I would love to see him pitch in a few more goals this season because he has three goals in 47 minutes for the Whitecaps, which is an incredible scoring record. Um, but you want to see the rest of the team step up. And obviously in the defense, zonal marking, you know, everybody is raving uh, about zonal marking or not necessarily raving, complaining about zonal marking because Vanni Sartini is a true Italian who is the most pure uh, tactician of zonal marking. And uh, it's been a mixed bag so far. We've seen a lot of goals conceded because of poor positioning and because of, they just can't react fast enough to get to the header. Uh, and we've conceded, I think, the most goals off set, uh, set pieces or shortly after set pieces in the league. 
which is not a stat you want to have. Uh, and I think, you know, we can get that defense to just properly switch on and buy into what Sartini wants from his defense. And if we can get the forward line to score, I think we're going to have a really good season. Now, hearing it, what I'm saying, I'm basically saying if our defense defends and if our attack attacks, <laughs> we'll do well. Um, but yeah, no, I think that uh, this weekend provides a perfect opportunity for the Whitecaps to record their first win, especially against Canadian opposition. I mean, Montreal is not our biggest rivalry, but it's still a Canadian rival. It's still a Canadian derby. So yeah, just to win against them would just make those those three points just extra sweet. Um, before I toss it to Harvey, I just <laughs> I saw this this week um, to your first point, and I have to read this quote from from Jao Klaus. He said, um, in regard to how how like what his drive is and and how he's always had this drive to to do well. He said, "quote In Brazil, we said it's my mother crying or their mother crying." I don't like to see my mother crying, so I always go hard. I mean, that is just like straight up dog status, like D-A-double-G, dog status. Dog. Uh, yeah, amazing quote. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you called it with St. Louis. We all bow to your feet. Um, uh, your your team is not the only one that is struggling early. Um, Harvey Cruz. The New York teams, what's going on? What do you want to see uh, in, in week six to help turn that around? I want to see some improvement at the very least. The Red Bulls go to Atlanta this weekend. They have my money, the front runner for MVP and Thiago Almeida. But the biggest thing for me is that the Red Bulls, their big money signing hasn't started a game for them yet. They've only come off the bench in Dante Vanjir. Only come off the bench in the games. He has scored a goal, thank God. But it's the fact that a lot of things of this team just looks the same from last season, and it's not good at all. Their, their passing is little to non-existent. They press the ball, of course. They press the opposition, of course, because they rely on opponent turnovers to score. That's basically how they scored against Charlotte last week. They Elias Manuel body the defender to score into the net. But then once the goal comes, I mean, they just pack it in defensively, and they just camp camp and camp and just um you know it's just nothing good um there's been very little good very little tangible things that you can take from game to game with these red bulls and the fact that they're 11th is worrisome to me to start out the season and the fact that they're playing an atlanta team that lost 6-1 to columbus the week before so they're gonna be motivated to be better at home and honestly, I would not be surprised if Atlanta beats the Rebels. Mind you, Atlanta has never beaten the Rebels in regular season play, only in the postseason. And if Atlanta beats the Rebels this weekend, I think you are looking very close to almost pressing the panic button on this team because Lewis Morgan's been out the past few games with a hip flexor. Not good. He was mostly healthy all of last season. He was your top scorer. He was your team MVP. He was your best player. Lukinas has been average, if not below average, these past few weeks into last season. So he needs to step it as well. As well, it's 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 all well and good that Sean Nealis and Andres Reyes have been the best center back pairing in the league so far this season, and their defense has been great, great. But 
for their attack to be so hit and miss and just fall by the wayside. It's it's honestly amazing. I can go on for day for this whole show, but I know we got other stuff to talk about. But they started out this year playing two strikers. Remember, they got Corey Burke off a free transit from Philadelphia. And these past two weeks, they've been playing one striker. I don't know what happened. I don't know why they switched it up. For me, the way they play, they're better off with two strikers. Um, they don't, don't really pass or possess the ball that much, so I don't even know why they play with an extra midfielder. Um, so for me, they should go back to the four two two two, and just you know press the hell out of it and see how many shots you get a goal, or at least cross the ball that way you can get the ball into the box or whatever. That's my thing on the rebels. Hopefully they can improve on that and go from there. My biggest story is the fact that NYCFC um, is in seventh, but they've had some bad losses, fam. They lost last week to Houston in Houston. They were awful, awful. Mind you, Rich, um, um, his name is Kitchen. Richie Ledesma came from PSV, and he made his debut last week, um, but still nothing. They're trying out Talis Magno as striker. Because guess what, everybody? Guess what? Not many people are saying this, but I'll say this out loud. NYCFC had a bad offseason. Bad offseason. You, you lose the likes of Alexander Callens, Tati Castellanos from last summer, Sean Johnson. You lose a core of players like that, and you don't really replace them, you're going to suffer. They should thank the lucky stars that both Santiago Rodriguez came back on a permanent deal and that James... Sands is back from long. They should thank their lucky stars every day because if either one came or if both did not come, they would be suffering bad. And the fact that they just haven't created many big chances. They possess the ball, of course, but they don't really create chances. They just pass, pass, pass. Hopefully they can find an opening in defenses. But they don't create. They're not that tall of a team, so they will lose aerial duels. And they just don't have the same bite. They just, they're just not as clinical as last season. This isn't the Ronnie Dyla team. This is the Nick Cushion team. And even he has to level up as well as his management. Um, and another surprise is that they're going to New England this weekend. And I don't know. New England's in first place, ladies and gentlemen. Who saw that happening after five games at New England? Led by Bruce Arena and a few kids. They got some nice youngsters in that team. And they do have some nice uh, pieces. They still have most of the core that won the supporters should back in 21 in the pandemic year. But still, the fact that they're in first place after this, after five games in the East is a great thing. Um, Bruce Arena's doing a heck of a job there so far. But NYCFC had to step it up. Um, I wasn't on for the season predictions episode, but I would have thought that if MLS did not go to nine teams, I would have thought that the NYCFC would have missed the playoffs. But because um, because MLS does what they want and just uh, changes their playoff format, like the, the earth changes seasons, they just go about it however they want. So nine teams it is. I think NYCFC now with this new format probably finishes in ninth. Um, but they need to show me, and the Rebels need to show me as well because it's very worrisome that both teams are this bang average to start the season. New York not really representing very well, Harvey. Um, guys, I, I hate to sound like I'm bragging, but Seattle's doing well. <laughs> not brag about yeah. it. 
<laughs> we ought to brag about it because I, I Felipe said, mentioned that St. Louis is like B team in MLS. Honestly, for for, for St. Louis, Seattle is B team in MLS. They are so sparkling. Go ahead, you brag about them. I'll listen. <laughs> I I appreciate that. Hey, I mean, I need something to brag about. DC and giving me nothing either. Um, <laughs> that's that's our our forever love hate relationship there, Harvey. DC United. Um, but Seattle, man, they are on fire right now um jordan morris oh my gosh i was just on a podcast with our 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 friend rob halan here from last word on soccer and i said listen i'm not a fan of the of the uh blonde bleach tips on jordan morris um but if they're working and if he's scoring goals because of that then hey keep keep the uh Keep the bleach tips, JMO, whatever you want. Um, what I'm looking for Seattle, though, is is a strong performance from Albert Rusnak. I think that this a game against the Galaxy is going to be um a, a good setup for him. I would like I would like to see him um kind of thrusted into the spotlight there. I think Jordan Morris is still gonna go score, but a couple nice looks um and assists or or whatnot, maybe a goal from um from Albert Rusnak would be nice. Last year, there was so much attention on him. Um, and he really just kind of had an okay year. He was really hot at the start of the season. Then he kind of started to, to, to simmer down um, midway. And then of course, as we know, Seattle did not make the playoffs for the first time in club history. Um, and, and the lack of lack of uh, what they got from Rusnak, I, I think was, was part of that. Um, so I'm looking for him to have a really good game for the Sounders, but boy, I can't wait for next week when Seattle plays uh, St. Louis, that is going to be such a good game. Um, and then also another team that I, I was very high on in our preview show uh, was Nashville SC and they are riding a two game losing streak right now. They're going against an Orlando team that is pretty decent this year. And that, and that looks fairly well so uh nashville needs to have um you know getting a draw on the road would not be seen as as anything of a downfall um i I think if nashville could squeak out a win that would be obviously great but even if nashville just gets a draw against orlando i think that would benefit them um I, i think they just need to put on they need to just have a complete good performance because it's been a while since Nashville um, has had one of those and two game losing streaks are pretty unheard of um, for Gary Smith and company. And I've always been very high on Gary Smith. I think he's a very underrated coach in the league. And, and I, I've, I've wanted him to win coach of the year a few times now. Um, and, and, and I would love to see Nashville do um, take that step that extra step to, to make it further, whether it be in the playoffs or just, you know, a little bit higher on the um, MLS. Uh, what are they now in the West? Are they in the West or are they in the East? No, they're in the East um, in the, in, on the table. Um, but that's, that's my thoughts on what I want to see in week six, um, week six time of recording. You're probably listening to this on April 1st. Happy April fool's day. Um, but we got some pickums. So there, there's a few free games on um the the Apple TV, but uh so I picked a few of those and then also the nationally televised game this week. Um, but let's start with Felipe's second favorite team, FC Cincinnati and Brandon Vasquez and company um against Inter Miami. Um Felipe, who you got? Yeah, I mean Cincinnati. I I, I was rooting for them in the in the preseason now st louis uh, quite quickly took that spot but i still rate cincinnati uh brendan vasquez finally scored 
last game, and I think that uh, that'll help him um, properly kick on for the rest of the season. Uh, Inter-Miami have been sort of mixed form, you know, Josef Martinez, he's not the same guy he used to be for Atlanta. He just doesn't have the legs anymore. I think Inter-Miami are sort of struggling right now uh, in the forward position, even with him there. And, um, you know, I think that uh, I, I don't know. I can't see them going to Cincinnati and, and causing an upset. So I'm going to say that Cincinnati are going to win this 2-0. Yeah, Cincinnati looked good um, against Seattle, really the only team this season that has been able to stop Seattle. Um, so I'm going to go Cincinnati. I'm going to go 2 nothing, uh in, in this game for a home win. Great stadium, wonderful atmosphere, by the way. I went for the Seattle game, and they were just incredible people out there in Cincinnati. And that's someone from Pittsburgh saying that. Um, so, Harvey, uh, two Eastern Conference teams here. What do you think? Two Eastern Conference teams. You know, I like this matchup a lot, honestly. I just think that Cincinnati, they should honestly be better than their position is, but I will go 1-1 Cincinnati and Miami. I do believe that they need to... They need to really uh, find Luciano Acosta more in possession. I just think that's the way to go for him. For Inter Miami, I'm not they need to really fix up defensively. They've been leaking goals these past few weeks. So I'll go I'll go with a tighter affair. I'll go one one uh Cincinnati one Inter Miami one. All right. Nationally televised game this week on big Fox. Um by the way that Inter Miami Cincinnati game 730 also at 730. Um LA Galaxy Seattle Sounders. Gentlemen, I will start this one off. Seattle, they are starting to get away from that notion last year that they cannot play on the road. Um, I think Seattle gets a win. I don't think it's a clean sheet for Stephen Fry. Um, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two to one with like a late-ish second half Jordan Morris uh goal to to get Seattle the three points. Um Felipe. Yeah, I think that um Seattle are really strong away from home right now, and the LA Galaxy have been not that great, especially since you know Chicharito's being gone. I think uh, last weekend they had a bit of rotation, so that's probably why it resulted in that nil-nil. But um, now they're going to have Jovalich back, and he's a good striker. But yeah, I still think that they're lacking some attacking threat, even though Ricky Puig is, is spectacular. He is so fun to watch as an individual player and wouldn't be surprised if he's an outside shout for MLS MVP, uh, depending on how LA do. Um, but yeah, I still think that uh, it'll probably be a Seattle win, if not a, at least a draw. But I'll, I'll back Seattle and uh, say 2-1. Appreciate that, Felipe. What do you think, Harvey? Yeah, Seattle two one as well. Um, I can go for a three one as well, but I'll just stick with the two one. I just think Seattle's hitting a higher gear right now. They have found the formula. Brian Schmetzer's gotten this team. This team is healthy now. Um, they're clicking all the cylinders. The other Galaxy just aren't. You know, this this is not on the same level as Seattle right now. 
Maybe maybe they can squeak out a result, but not not in this case. I just think Seattle uh, is better. They've been the best team in the Western Conference for my money. I'll go Seattle two, LA Galaxy one, and don't be surprised if there's not many fans and and um, in LA. Apparently, they're still protesting that Chris Collins is GM. Um, that's not a fun situation right now for an LA Galaxy fan. So Seattle two, Galaxy one. Good stuff, Harvey, and thank you for that insight there uh, on on the fan base and whatnot. Um, also at 7.30, um, New England Revolution, New York City FC. Harvey, you talked about it a little bit. How in the heck is New England in the number one spot? They kind of just snuck up there, and nobody really noticed it. Um, and then New York City FC struggling a little bit. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I think uh, I know. I kind of I slagged. The, I kind of messed up NYCFC and said a bunch of like, whatever. I don't care for them. But I think as far as this game goes, I think it's. I see it a one-one draw. Um, the familiarity is there. NYCFC can play in Gillette Stadium's pitch. Um, they just need to possess the ball better. I think they'll have more possession in this game. Their decision making has been bad. Their their clinicalness has been bad. Um, New England's done very well. They to me have the best one two punch in the East when it comes to Gustavo Ball and Carter's heel. But it's kind of like their X factors, like guys like the Juan Jones and their goalkeepers. Uh, his name escapes me. The goalkeeper, but he's one. Of the, he's arguably one of the best, two three best keepers in the league. He's been great. And for me, I just have a one-one. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if New England wins this game, because uh, in such good form. If NYCFC wins this game, I'll be surprised. But uh, I'll stick. I'll split it even. I'll go one-one. Felipe, what do you think? Yeah, actually, I'm gonna back the the draw call. I think one-one is a an accurate description because you know, looking at the stats, and I know stats aren't the be-all end-all. But looking at the stats of New England Revolution, they're, they're still pretty average. They're not really first or second or third in in anything. It's just mo- like moments of brilliance, like Harvey was saying, like with the the one-two punch with um, Bowen Hill. And, you know, Noah Buck uh, had a really good game uh, last game as well. It, it just seems like... They're they're sort of not necessarily getting lucky, but they're making the most of their chances, and that's what you want to see. But it's how sustainable they can they can continue that. And I think NYCFC is going to go, and they're going to have a point to prove um, at in at the stadium. And I think that I I don't see either team blowing the other team away. So I think it's going to be quite evenly contested. So I'm going to say one one. I'm going to back you guys on the draw, but I'm going to say it's going to be 0-0 in this one. I don't know why. Maybe it's just my dislike for Bruce Arena. I don't know. Um, or my, or to be honest with you, my lack of, my lack of knowledge on the Eastern Conference. Um, whatever it may be, I'm just going to go 0-0 here um, and, and see. I think it'll be very defensive-minded, especially on New York City FC's part. Um, but guys, we're, that's pretty much it for us. So we're going to move to last words. Um, we will start with, um, Harvey, go ahead. Oh, I don't really have many 
words to think about, but I'll just say this, you know, very quietly, we've sort of discovered the the future locations of these USMNT friendlies, and they're pretty much all in the same realm where you have your Orlando's, you have your, maybe an Inter-Miami picks up a game, maybe, uh, who knows, a Nashville maybe pick up a game. But don't expect a guy like me, an East Coast guy from Jersey, to see the USN MNT anytime soon. Um, I think the last time the USMNT played was that Suzo lost to Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying. And then everyone just bashed the arena of all things because the team didn't show up. Go figure. But I just think you're going to see two things come into play here. One is, is geography, of course, as always, and two is weather. And, of course, it never gets cold in Orlando from what I hear. So they always play their games there. And, you know, heaven forbid they play their games at, uh, at soccer-specific stadiums. I bet you, honestly, now the more I think about, about this, they will play a game in, in St. Louis for World Cup qualifying. I bet you they will before, before the 2026 World Cup. I bet you they'll play a game in St. Louis and just prop up the whole, whole thing. Who knows? Maybe they'll bring Ty Lasso in just to play it up and whatnot. But these locations, they, 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 there's a lot of thought into them. And it's not because, um, you know, they just want to pick and establish their favorites. They already have their favorites. For me, they just don't want to deal with cold weather games anymore. I think they learned the lesson from, I don't know, having Honduras suffer from pneumonia in Minnesota in February, stuff like that. Um, I'm sure they don't want to deal with the winds of Red Bull Arena, or they don't want to go to rain-soaked areas, probably in Nashville or Seattle. Um, yeah, that's a football stadium. But you get what I mean. They have their they have the stadiums, and they're just gonna pick these stadiums and maybe just stick with those as like their quote unquote homes for friendly games. So that's my last words. Oh, and one last thing, as well. Um, baseball is back, and I've noticed. Uh, I've been seeing, which I'm I'm so happy. Thank God for the pitch clock and everything. Um, so I'll just be quick about this. If you don't want to miss any of the game. Do yourself the favor, download the app that the teams have for the food and concessions and order ahead of time. First of all, get there ahead of time. What do you got to lose? Get there ahead of time and order your food ahead of time. Don't miss out on anything because you want to be online when uh, new things are happening and where you're missing things. I do it for the Rebel games. I, I skip the lines because I have the app and I buy it. I just show the people and boom, I get in, get out. Handle my business. So do yourself a favor and um, use the hacks that I provided to you. Get in, use the app, get in, get out, enjoy the games. Uh, when I started dating my boyfriend, I had to learn to kind of like baseball again. I always enjoyed going to the games here. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, of course, my team. Um, and, and so, you know, I've slowly started to really enjoy baseball all over again. And yes, go early to the games. I have been told on Sunday games, whenever they're earlier, that we are going to 7.30 a.m. mass just so, yeah, I know, Felipe, my thoughts exactly, just so my boyfriend can go harass pitchers in the bullpen. So I said, you're going to go to church and then you're going to harass pitchers. Okay, we'll go to confession on the way home. Great. <laughs> uh, Felipe, where, what, are your, what are your last words? Yeah, for me, it's uh, I've been uh, 
reading a lot more lately and yeah it's sort of like what you were saying at the beginning um i just recently finished my master's in philosophy um this past summer and i found that since then i've had a lot more time to read i've been doing a bit of a book club with some of my some of my friends that's been a lot of fun with like fantasy novels and stuff like that but i decided to read for myself and since I'm starting to do more soccer journalism, read some books on soccer. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, I created a little soccer uh, book list for me to um, to sort of understand soccer history more, soccer tactics, be a better student of the game. And I finished my first gay, uh, first uh, book a few days ago, which was Zonal Marking by Michael Cox. A very good uh, book on the yes, history no, of that's, soccer. Yes, I love that book. Yeah, it's fantastic since uh, since the 1990s until uh, quite recently. And then now I'm reading Inverting the Pyramid by Jonathan Wilson, which is another book about soccer history, a, a bit of a different take. And uh, yeah, I've been enjoying just reading and learning more about soccer and how fluid it is and how tactics are changing so much and how formations are actually becoming something more and more of the past with now how um, how teams play in this ultra modern hyper technical game that we're seeing, and I know a lot of people are traditionalists and they want to see the proper proper football where they just go and kick and show heart and be physical and you know slide in the mud and that is great too. But I I really like the way that the game is involving in this aspect and uh, yeah I love reading about this stuff and and learning more about it. So that's what I've been doing. Um, book recommendation for you would be Pele, Why Soccer Matters. That's probably one of my favorite soccer books uh, for you. Yeah, and uh, that... real quick, I got one, one recommendation for you too, Felipe. Angels with Dirty Faces on the History of Argentinian Soccer. Tremendous read. Tremendous book. I'll have to take a look at that one too. Um, I I hate to bring the mood down with this one for my last words. Um. And I will read I will read our sponsors after this to pick up our mood. Um, but I don't know if you guys saw my Twitter the other day, but on Wednesday, um, schools around my county, it started with Central Valley, or I'm sorry, not Central Valley, Central Catholic, um, and Oakland Catholic, two schools in downtown. Um, and then it went to my alma mater, Hopewell, which is right like a five-minute walk from the school that I work at. Um they got hoax calls, uh, the the swatting calls about how there was an uh, they were saying that there is a shooting at the school and they turned out to be hoaxes and they turned out to be fake, but they were very, very real threats. Um, and I was on the phone with uh, students that I used to coach that now go to the public school at Hopewell um, the whole time. And they had to be escorted out of the building just like uh you know any any thing you see on the news with school shootings um police officers with with you know assault weapons and and stuff to try to you know if there were an assailant to try to stop them um 
and yeah, it was it, hiding under desks for, for almost two hours. It was very, very traumatizing for these kids. And Harvey, um, you've been my friend now for about two years now. So you know how much I love my kids. Um, and I, I go to bat for my kids and I would do anything for it. And I say that my kids, they're not my actual kids, but I have probably about a hundred quote unquote, my kids. Um, and so for them all to be super traumatized by that, um, ho hoaxes are a very real thing. Um, and I, I hope that never happens to any of our, our listeners, whether they're parents, whether they're students. Um, it, it's not a joke. It's, it's messing with people's lives. It's messing with these kids' mental states. Um, I've got kids that I've been talking to that are still pretty shook up about it. Um, and, and working at the school, not even five minutes away, um, we were on a soft lockdown. And I just know that if anything would have happened, I would have done everything I could to have protected my students. Um, so thankfully, thankfully, it didn't have to come to that. Thankfully, it wasn't uh, a real situation. But these hoaxes were very scary and very real. Um, and so I just wanted to bring light to it that it is happening everywhere and it sucks but that's the reality right now and things need to change um so with that said gentlemen i'm going to tell you about our sponsors um starting with icarus fc um are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from nike and adidas are you looking for a unique completely custom kit for your youth club sunday league squad adult or even pro team Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price with the motto, any design you want, seriously, let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. And then a huge thank you to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team today at RoughneckScarves.com. That's going to do it for us. Again, thank you to all of our sponsors, the two that we just read, Athletic Greens, Last word on sports.com. You can check out, um, subscribe, like, whatever, uh, the podcast. But for myself, for Felipe, for Harvey, we are out and we will see you all uh, whenever we see you next, whether that be after MLS week six or after the first batch of games and the next round of the CONCACAF Champions League. Peace out and have a great night.